Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. All right, well, if you're joining us today uh, online, maybe this is your first time here, or if you're first time here in person, we just want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, We have been studying the Word of God. This is what we do here. This is kind of what happens in church. Uh, We come to worship, and we come to learn, and we come to really just dedicate our whole lives to what God wants for us. So we're looking in the Bible, and what we're looking at specifically in this new series we've been in um, is really the most important thing we can do together. Really the most important thing we can do, we choose to draw close to Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that and we seek out more of his heart is by going through those times in scripture where you see Jesus' heart on full display. So specifically, we've been looking at some moments in scripture where Jesus interacts with normal people like us. You know, normal, everyday, ordinary people. And we get to see ourselves in the story then. So we've looked at a few of these uh, different interaction points that Jesus had with really just ordinary people. And you can check back in uh, online if you, if you missed out on any of those. If you want to go back and hear some of them, uh, they're available on YouTube. They're on our website. We have a podcast that you can get on a billion different ways. I didn't even know some of these ways that you can get podcasts today. But you can get it. So don't miss out on what God's been speaking to us. And if you've been journeying with us, looking at Jesus, or maybe you've been diving into the Gospels again, and just like, you know what, yeah, I, I want to focus my eyes on Jesus. One thing that you notice pretty quickly about Jesus in the story is this. Jesus was kind of a rebel, right? Anybody else find that when you, yeah, okay, Kim is pumped about it. Yeah, Jesus kind of is a rebel, but, you know, he, he, as he pushed some buttons of some people, as he made some people uncomfortable, as he shattered some stereotypes, you know, it wasn't because he was interested in rebelliousness, That wasn't what he was after. That's more our thing, if you kind of read the whole story of Scripture. No, Jesus was on a mission, though. He was on a mission for you and I to restore that which was lost, to restore the intimate relationship that each and every one of us is designed for with our Creator. And he's not going to let anything hold us back. Not even good things in our lives will he let hold us back from the very best thing for us. And so sometimes he pushes our buttons. And sometimes he pushes the buttons of people who maybe were the religious establishment of his day. But once again today, we want to look at Jesus doing Jesus things, right? We want to look at Jesus sort of crossing some lines. And I want us to look and see what happens today when Jesus sees a man who is untouchable coming to him. Someone who is off limits, excluded, ultimately not, not worthy to be in his presence. So with, if you would turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 for just a minute here this morning. Matthew chapter 8, and I'm going to read to you verse 1 through 4, and it can be on the screen for you, and if you're following along on the Bible app, you'll find it there. Matthew 8, 1 through 4 says this, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said. Be clean, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. And then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. 
Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who've been healed of leprosy, and this will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. Would you pray with me today? Father, we're thankful for your word. As always, when we look intently into your word, and we look intensely into who you are, it changes us, and we invite you to do just that this morning. As we dive into this story, as we put it in its place, and really get to what is going on here, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would help us to go deeper with you, and I pray that you would call us to live out your ways as never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What an amazing moment, once again, as as Jesus interacts with a, a person who is an untouchable person. And like so many in this section of Matthew's account, it's just such an incredible healing that takes place. But I'm going to argue this morning that this moment has a slightly deeper significance. Not only because of the condition of the man, but also because of where Matthew puts it in his gospel. What's really going on here? See, in this tiny little moment, what we see is that Jesus has authority over this man's sickness. But he also has authority over the law. And that's important. Finally, Jesus has tremendous compassion on this man and on all of us, on any of us who could never measure up to God's standard of holiness that the law required. So to get at the deeper realities of this short four-verse little healing moment, we need to look at the big context of what's going on in this scripture. One of the surefire ways, if you're reading along in the Bible, one of the surefire ways that you can get into all kind of wrong thoughts about Jesus is to take the Bible out of its context, right? But the opposite is also true for us, which is when we look at the Bible in its proper context, when we know what's going on in the story, we get a correct view and it comes to life for us in new ways. So I want to zoom in on this moment with this man from what's really going on in the big picture. Why is Matthew writing this? Why does he include this story? Why does he put it right here in his story? Matthew, if you know anything about the gospel writers, Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. You know, some of the gospel writers write to different audiences. He's really writing to the Hebrew people, and he's writing to show us kind of what we said last week. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to all of their questions, all of the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the things that they had dedicated themselves to studying. He ties the whole Bible together with Jesus at the apex. He says, this is the moment when Jesus comes on the scene. So for Matthew and his audience, people who lived under the law of Moses, there is a focus all throughout Matthew's gospel on how Jesus interacts with the law. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that's Genesis, Exodus, the ugly one that we don't like very much, Numbers and Deuteronomy, right? That's, that's what he's talking about. We see it time and time again in Jesus' interaction with people in, in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus does the miraculous with them, suddenly there's a discussion about the law. Why? Well, the law itself wasn't the issue from Jesus' perspective, but how many of you guys know as human beings, sometimes we get a hold of things that were good. We like to use them for our purposes, don't we? We like to bend even the gifts that God gives us to our will. And what could go wrong there, right? By Jesus' day, the law that God had given to mark out his chosen people and separate them had been twisted and turned in a million ways for other purposes. 
And essentially was being used to create a divide amongst people where some people were being crushed by all of the implications that the law made on their lives and others were the few, the hyper-religious ones. And even as they strove to keep every little bit of it, they were missing God's heart. So nobody, nobody was experiencing what God's intention and what God's heart was for them. It had separated his people into different classes. How many of you guys know that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven? Amen? Thank God for that. But at this moment, the law was being used to do just that. So, Matthew gives us the narrative of Jesus' birth, his baptism, his testing in the wilderness. And then Matthew sets out five distinct sections, beautiful sections in his book that are a new Torah, a new law for us to look at. And the first of these five sections in Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you guys have heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah? Okay, Sermon on the Mount. Why is this important? Well, verse 1, large crowds followed him as he came down the mountain. There's a tie-in here. The Sermon on the Mount is, if you haven't read it before, it's Jesus' manifesto of the kingdom arriving. It's the longest teaching that we have from Jesus and if you really want to dive into the Sermon on the Mount, it also is like the hardest teaching, some of the hardest teachings that Jesus has. Anybody read this and been like, oh my gosh, come on, be honest today in church. You read the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, wow, I need to rethink my life again, all right? Maybe you've heard what Jesus says about loving your enemies in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not something we see practiced very often in our world, is it? Or maybe you read him saying, if you hate somebody in your heart, it's like you're committing murder. Or if you look at somebody lustfully, according to Jesus, it's the same as if you were committing adultery with that person in your heart. Hard teachings. If your hand causes you to sin, you better cut it off. Whoa. What is Jesus getting at here? This is a hard teaching. We're not even a third of the way through and you see all those things going on in the Sermon on the Mount. We come away from the Sermon on the Mount asking, as Jesus' hearers often did, who can live like this? Who can actually keep this? Who can do this? Who's perfect like this? You know, what Jesus is doing in this moment at the Sermon on the Mount is so amazing. He's expanding the law to an impossible standard, an impossible level, because ultimately, he wants us to realize we can't do it, so we will again put the focus back, not on all these external things, getting all the external right, but back to the heart. How many of you guys know that Jesus is interested in what's going on on the inside? Amen? Remember our discussion as we started this series about Jesus' intent to bless the poor and set the captives free. Jesus said he came to proclaim good news to the poor, but that doesn't just mean people who are economically unfortunate. It means anyone who, through their choices or not, finds themselves among the have-nots. People who are excluded, forgotten, outsiders in this day. Because in Jesus' words to the insiders, to the religious people of his day, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. Jesus, in this masterful first act of Matthew's account, levels the playing field, making space for every single person by getting back to the heart. Because ultimately, none of us are worthy, is what he's wanting us to realize. None of us can keep the whole law. None of us can earn 
righteousness for ourselves. All of us find ourselves amongst the others in Jesus' eyes. We're all out of luck without him. But praise God, living, breathing, and walking amongst us is Jesus now. He has come, and he is all of our hope. No matter what separates us from God, he wants to bridge that gap. Philip Yancey says it like this, Jesus was the first world leader to inaugurate a kingdom with a heroic role for the losers. He spoke to an audience raised on stories of wealthy patriarchs, strong kings, and victorious heroes. Much to their surprise, he honored instead the people who have little value in the visible world. The poor and the meek, the persecuted and those who mourn, social rejects, the hungry and the thirsty. His stories consistently featured the wrong people as heroes. The prodigal, not the responsible son. The good Samaritan, not the good Jew. Lazarus, not the rich man. The tax collector, not the Pharisee. So verse 1, coming down the mountain, Jesus' difficult words, leveling the playing field, this is all still ringing in their ears. He had just laid out his impossible standard and leveled the playing field. Then what happens? Jesus immediately has a watershed moment here in chapter 8. Matthew uses this story to transition from Jesus proclaiming things about the kingdom to showing how the kingdom actually lives and breathes amongst us. It's an important transition. Matthew goes on to tell nine different stories of miraculous healings with ten miracles in the next few chapters, but all of them are focused on the heart, not on the external. But this is the first story. This is the moment of truth for Jesus in a way. Because this leper who comes to him is an obvious example of all those who are other and shouldn't even be here in the story. So the question is, what will Jesus do? Think of them coming down the standards. They're still scratching their heads like, I don't know how we're going to live this out. And then this comes. What will Jesus do in this minute? How will Jesus interact with all those people who can't keep the law? Under the old system, this man would be cast out and never accepted. This man coming to Jesus in this moment was completely unacceptable. He comes to Jesus, and it's like there's this pause, and they're wondering, what's going to go on? You can hear the sharp intake of breath there between verses 2 and 3. The paragraph break there, it's like the Grand Canyon as they're all like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen here? 2,000 years of tradition for them, screaming through their thoughts, the indignity of this man coming to Jesus like this. What will Jesus do? All eyes are fixed on him. Has anybody here had to quarantine in the last few months or the last year now, pretty much? Anybody had a quarantine period? Yeah, a bunch of people, right? First of all, thank you for doing that. Uh, thank you for doing that and protecting us as well. Secondly, not very much fun, is it? Anybody just love quarantine? No, we don't like that. We're not designed for that even. Quarantine is terrible. Quarantine was a leper's life in Jesus' day. It was his life. It wasn't an occasional experience for this man. Quarantine was his entire existence according to the law. In Leviticus chapter 13, it says this, Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing, leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, Unclean! unclean. And as long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. Wow. You can't shower. You can't comb your hair. You can't do anything. 
except find your place in quarantine. Can you imagine? Try and imagine this for a minute, especially if you've been through quarantine. Can you imagine if quarantine wasn't a two-week deal, but it was the rest of your life? There's nothing you could do about it. Nothing he had done caused this. It wasn't because of his choices. It's completely outside his control, but this was going to be his lot in life. Quarantine, indefinite. By the letter of the law, this was their life. But Jesus had a different plan for this man, didn't he? Matthew shows us something incredibly important in this first encounter. Jesus is a higher authority than the law. Jesus is a higher authority than the law, but in Jesus' own words, he didn't come to destroy and dismantle the law. In Matthew chapter 5, just a couple pages earlier, verse 17, it says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus came to be the ultimate fulfillment of the purpose for which the law was given. And when he encountered this man on the slopes of the mountain, he demonstrated what the complete fulfillment of that law could look like for all of us. But as Jesus is saying this, you know, I came to fulfill the law, he doesn't stop there. He, he actually includes some more of his trademark haunting words. Verse 20, if you've got it, says this, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than that of the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, you will never enter the kingdom. Ouch, right? Could you imagine what that sounded like to the common person? Like, you got to be kidding me. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the people whose whole purpose is to study the law and do the law, that, these guys have a head start. How could I ever measure up to them? These guys are, you know, they're insiders and I'm an outsider. They're the privileged. I can't keep up with them. Wait a minute. Are you saying that they don't even measure up Jesus? Are you saying that they can't even keep the law? What are you saying, Jesus? And as they're wrestling with this words of Jesus, he goes on and expands this higher righteousness he's talking about to the point where not a single one of us has a leg to stand on. We can't do it. Not a single one of us. Because the beginning of coming to Jesus is recognizing that we can never, ever, ever earn our righteousness with God. No one measures up. Jesus dismantled all of their distortions of the law that turned it into an external show and made it clear what matters to him is a heart, a humble heart seeking him just like this leper had. As he said to the insiders, I came for those who know they need a doctor. And this man did. First Samuel chapter 17 or 16 says this, the Lord doesn't see things the way that we see things. People love to judge by outward expressions and appearance, but God looks on the heart. Amen? Somebody say amen to that. Amen. God looks on the heart, and he still does today. So what happens? Well, after giving his manifesto, after totally transforming their idea of relating to God and leveling the playing field, how will the master act with all the unworthy, with all the others. That's the question for them. They were watching carefully. They were wondering in this moment, what's he going to do with this man? Because if he really is truly changing the system, you know, he can't just walk away from him, but could he really be doing that? 
The reality is many of us today wonder something similar. Many of us today have similar questions. What will Jesus do with someone who is other like me? Can I come to him as I am? Can I trust him with my brokenness and my scars? Will he reject me? Will he recoil from me? I know that I've blown it more than a few times. Am I broken beyond fixing? What will Jesus do with me? Because we are all others in that way. Maybe you're here and you're wondering this today. Maybe you're here and you've got some issues going on in your life and you're wondering, what would Jesus think of me? Am I, am I dirty? Am I unclean? Am I beyond fixing? What would Jesus do? See, it doesn't have to be leprosy to put you outside the camp in our world, does it? It doesn't have to be. In fact, there is a growing list of things that you can do or say or think or believe that are going to land you outside the camp of what's culturally acceptable in our world. And that just doesn't even mean culture out there. That means culture in churches today, too. There are a growing list of things. In our world, so often, what that means and what we all end up doing is we just try and polish up the outside so that everything looks good on the outside, right? It's just like in Jesus' day. As long as everything looks all right, externally, it doesn't really matter what's going on in my heart or what I genuinely think. Because a little Photoshop goes a long way, right? A little bit of airbrushing makes everything look great. Jesus says, no one can earn his love. No one can earn righteous standing with him by putting an external show on. In fact, if you read back through the history and the prophets that he's coming to fulfill, you come to like Amos chapter 5, where God says, I'm sick of all your external show. Give me a heart that beats like mine. God actually says to his people, stop worshiping me like that. Stop singing to me when you have all this yuck inside of you. It's not about what's going on on the outside. God is interested in the heart. He's interested in the heart. You know, the reality is, we cannot separate Jesus' action with this man in incredible compassion from what he just finished saying. This is a transition moment. Everything that Jesus said and did lines up in perfect harmony. Even though, let's be honest, in our world, we like to take some of Jesus' beautiful, happy moments and separate them from some of his hardest teachings, Right? We love the Jesus that cares for the poor and everything. We don't like his teaching on sexuality. Mm -mm, that's off limits to Jesus. Right? Let's be honest today in church. We love to pick and choose. You can't separate. Jesus lived out and Jesus' words were one and the same. Fulfillment and complete fulfillment of the law and the prophets in this moment. And basically, we need to hear this today. With Jesus, it's dead clear. Not a single one of us can measure up. Nobody measures up in our own strength. Not your favorite person on earth. Not your hero that you look up to. Definitely not your pastor. Okay? And no matter how hard you try, you could have the compassion of Mother Teresa and Billy Graham's passion. You could have the infectious joy of Steve Irwin, and you're not good enough in and of yourself. No one can earn righteousness but... Just like that day, today, here stands the master, present, ready to interact with us. I imagine as this man starts to make his way towards him, I imagine Jesus cracks a little smile on his face because he knows what's about to go down. And he knows how uneasy this is making everyone around him in this moment. Once again, as with each and every story that we've studied so far, looking at contact with Jesus, this man is bold beyond belief. Completely bold in this moment. 
Like the man lowered through the roof that we studied last week, he had to get to Jesus. He would not be stopped from getting to Jesus. And look, he's not coming to Jesus in this moment through the crowd shouting, unclean, unclean. Instead, he is professing his faith in Jesus alone. Because when the fulfillment of the law arrives, you lock your heart onto Jesus and let all of the external things fade away. Amen? My cleanliness has arrived, he was saying. My healing is right here. Lord, you can make me clean. I love how he doesn't ask a single question. This man. He doesn't say, Lord, can you do this for me? God, I think I'm doing okay here. Would you help me out? No, no, no. He doesn't ask any questions. He professes his faith and says, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. He's confessing the truth of God over his life. So let's fix our eyes again on Jesus in the story. You know, after coming down the mountain, after making it so clear that nobody can measure up, you would think that Jesus would come down the mountain and just, you know, he is holy, he's the only one who's holy. You would think that he kind of just like retreats from everyone, like everybody's unclean now. You know, that he would recoil from this man, that he would recoil from your condition, from my condition, from our sin. But as they all hold their breath and wonder, what will Jesus do? Verse 3, he reaches out and touches the man. He touches him. Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches the untouchable. He loves the unlovable in this moment. I can just see all of their jaws hitting the floor in unison when this happens. This is not okay by any means. It's not okay under the law. It's not even socially acceptable, and it's weird to them. Craig Keener reminds us in the story, touching a leper was absolutely forbidden And most people would have been revolted at the very thought of touching a leper. Let's be honest. Regardless of what the law said, there was enough fear in people to stop them from ever touching a leper. Jesus turned their world upside down in this moment in every single way imaginable. And once again, Philip Yancey can shed some light for us on this. He tells the story of meeting a, a woman in a leprosy rehabilitation center in Nepal with his wife. And as they toured the facility, this woman kind of somehow followed them around and was just kind of there. And she had lost both of her feet to leprosy. She had lost her nose to leprosy, and you could see straight into her sinus cavity. She had followed them around somehow, and he recounts that her presence there had made him easy in multiple ways, and his initial reaction wasn't very holy. He said, I just kind of considered maybe she wanted something from us. Maybe she was begging The therapist showing them around quickly told them that Danmaya, as her name, was one of their most devoted church members. And that every single time the doors of their little Christian chapel opened, she was there waiting to come in. She was their prayer warrior, and she was also the one who loved to greet new people like them, which is why she was following them around. And in an instant, he realized his prejudice had blocked his access to the presence of God in her. He continued, a few months later, we learned that Maya had died. Close to my desk, I keep a photo that I snapped just as she was singing to my wife, Janet. I see two beautiful women. My wife, smiling sweetly, wearing a brightly colored Nepali outfit she had bought the day before, holding in her arms an old crone who would flunk any beauty test ever devised, except for the one that matters most. 
out of that deformed, hollow shell of a body, the light of God's presence shined out. The Holy Spirit had found a home. Just like he experienced that day. Jesus, in this moment, encounters someone who was terrifying to everybody in that crowd, who was breaking the expectation and breaking the law, even. But what does Jesus do in that moment? He doesn't recoil away from that man. Instead, he reaches out and touches him. Jesus did the unthinkable. He doesn't ignore this man and just kind of keep going on his way like so many of us often do. He loves on him and he heals him completely. He didn't move away from him He moved towards him. He broke the rules so that he could fulfill the greater rule of setting the captive free in this moment. He was showing them this is what the kingdom looks like in your midst. He moved towards him with indescribable compassion. And no matter what struggle that man had, no matter what struggle you and I might have today that makes us other, he longs for us to come boldly to him with a heart full of faith like this man. He reached out and touched the untouchable and said this, I am willing. I am willing. Maybe those words are for you today. Verse 3 in the Amplified Version says, I am willing, be cleansed by being cured. And instantly his leprosy was cured and cleansed. This man experienced healing like we can only dream of. Physically, spiritually, and in every way imaginable, even his shame was a thing of the past. Never again would he need to shout about anything. He was totally clean. Reality is today, we all need to hear those words from Jesus. You can never measure up. You can never earn it on your own, but I am willing. I am willing. Romans 3, 23 says this, All have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. We can never earn our healing. We can never earn his love, but by his grace... It is a free gift because Jesus is willing and Jesus is here. We need his grace. We need his healing. We need his forgiveness every single day, every single one of us. There's not a day that goes by when you and I don't need more of Jesus. Amen? And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He is still moving towards us. No matter what threatens to separate us from him. No matter what we're struggling with. No matter what our sickness may be. He is moving towards us. The great physician is here for all of those who will simply recognize that I need the great physician in my life. So if you feel disqualified, he is willing. If you feel like you're wrestling or isolated by sin, he is willing. If you feel like you've been in quarantine in a different way for a very long time, he's willing. Jesus will meet you right where you are because he's forever willing. Amen? And he's so willing that he paid the ultimate price that the law required so that nothing could ever hold us back from him again. What an incredible, incredible thing. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was in our own sinful hands, what the law was powerless to do, God did himself by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be made a sin offering for us. And that's what we celebrate with Holy Communion today. We remember that our Savior still reaches out, still moves towards each and every one of us every single day and says, I am willing and I love you this much.
I love you this much. So if you want to grab and open your communion elements, or if you're at home and you want to run and grab something, go right ahead. And the amazing thing, somebody said this to me this week, you know, by the letter of the law in Jesus' day, you basically had either to live a perfect life or to make an offering to fulfill the law. Jesus did both. So it's like he's got an extra ticket for you and me. He lived a perfect life. He kept all of the law perfectly, but then he also became that offering for you and I. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread. The Apostle Paul captures this for us. And as he took the bread, he shared it with his disciples and said this to them, This is my body, broken for you. Do this when you gather in remembrance of me. You know, the bread really speaks to us and represents the complete healing that Jesus wants to bring into your life and mine every single day. By his stripes, we are healed, says Isaiah. And he was willingly broken, willingly, so that you and I could be made whole, that we could experience his healing power in our lives. Amen? So as we receive the bread, I want to invite you, would you thank him for your healing? And if you're holding out for healing in some area, would you hear again those words? I am willing. I am willing. I am here. Amen? Let's receive the bread. told that after supper, he also took the cup and shared it with his disciples, saying, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Share it as often as you can in remembrance of me. You know, just as we are cured of all of our maladies, we are completely and totally cleansed as well of all unrighteousness in the blood of Jesus. The cup speaks to us of the unconditional forgiveness that we can have access to because he's willing. Amen? The price was paid, and though we can never earn righteousness for ourselves, we can be in right standing with the Father today because of Jesus. So let's receive the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to close our service in just a minute. We're going to sing and celebrate our God. But I just want to pray a prayer over you. If you would stand with me. In an old-fashioned kind of way, maybe take this as sort of a benediction today. This is my prayer for you as we look at Jesus interacting with people just like us. From Ephesians chapter 3, it says this. Paul speaking says, When I think of all this, when I think of how incredible Jesus is, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious riches, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is for you. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. 
Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. Glory to him in this church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you are willing that no matter what may be messed up in us, whether it was something we chose or something that is just so broken that has happened to us or anything, we can come to you with a heart full of faith, knowing that you are forever willing and you will meet us where we are. We worship you today, Lord. We thank you that you are still moving towards sinful, ordinary people like us to restore us, cleanse us, cure us, and clean us of all unrighteousness and present us completely whole before your Father. Thank you, Jesus. We rest in this assurance in your mighty name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Let's worship him. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.